If you had a demon, it was cast out by that organ playing. <laughs> we are so fortunate to have Dr. Boney with us. Now I'm emotional. <laughs> had too much coffee, I guess. <clears throat> supposed to happen in church. Thank you. So it took, Broderick, gather yourself, okay? Okay. I always tell people, be open to the Holy Spirit, and then I'm not, and so, okay, we're good. It took exactly 11 minutes to get from my childhood home to my childhood church. 11 minutes of red lights, 11 minutes of difficult drivers, 11 minutes of my mother calling on every saint and angel under heaven to get us to church on time. <laughs> and every time we'd get to a red light or a slow driver in the left lane, or a train crossing a set of tracks, my mother would say, it ain't nothing but the devil. <laughs> 11 minutes of prayer, of hearing my mother's masterful narration of our stressful journey, of her gracefully, if forcefully, wrangling two languid boys to prepare them for service in the house of the Lord. But mama, I can't find my black shoes. It ain't nothing but the devil. <laughs> but mama, can I sleep for two more minutes? It ain't nothing but the devil. But mama, I took a shower two days ago. <laughs> that ain't nothing but the devil. It ain't nothing but the devil is one of the first theological expressions I heard a signifier that there were invisible forces at work in this world, a world charged by spirits either pushing goodness or peddling impediments that prevent us from realizing the good God has in store for all of creation. My mother, raised by her mother, who was born and reared on her parents' land in rural East Texas among people who tended tilled and teased forth life from the earth, who were themselves as vulnerable to the whims of nature as they were to the whims of those who willed their destruction, who had imaginations broad enough to name evil, to ask its name, to identify it at work among their crops and in segregated public spaces and in the premature deaths of their loved ones. And sometimes when I tell stories, I make the people in the story sound dead. My mother is still alive. Someone at, after the eight o'clock said, so is your mother still with us? And I said, thank the Lord she is. Yes, she is still with us. So my mother is yet alive. If my mother were standing here preaching, she'd look at the story of the demon-possessed man and say, it ain't nothing but the devil. And she would be right. Because how else does one explain the chaotic 
torment of the man who makes his home among the dead instead of the living, who is kept under guard with chains and shackles, but breaks them and is driven by the demon into the wilderness. If mama were preaching, she'd bring our attention to the way in which Jesus seeks to humanize the man. What is your name? Legion, the man says. Legion, mama would say, is a Roman military term indicating that the man was possessed or occupied by 6,000 demons. What is your name? Legion. I am occupied by 6,000 troops that don't belong here, that have no home here, that have no right to my body, my personhood. I am occupied by a force greater than myself that is chipping away at my dignity. I am occupied by social, political, and religious forces that have pushed me to the edge of common life, to the graveyards of my village. It is easy for those of us who have never lived in occupied territory to miss the subtlety of references like legion because we have never known what it's like to walk down the streets of our neighborhood and have an unrecognizable person dictate where, when, and how we move about in our own lives, in our own skin, in our own communities. This narrator may very well be alluding to this text taking shape for Jewish followers of Jesus living under Roman occupation. They are, in effect, possessed by Rome, occupied by Rome. And this narrator is engaged in a literary move used by oppressed people throughout history. The use of coded language, of using words that on their surface seem safe but are packed with subversive power. Instead of simply saying Roman occupation is invasive and wrong, the narrator crafts a story that personifies Rome's militarism as a demon-possessed person calling himself legion. And Jesus drives the legion out into a herd of pigs on a mountainside at the demon's request. But why, one wonders, is there a herd of pigs in Jewish territory? <laughs> why, we wonder, when the law of Moses emphatically forbids God's covenant people from consuming pork, as we heard in the Isaiah lesson just earlier. This, as we discussed a few weeks ago, is what happens when empires occupy vulnerable populations. They so plunder the occupied people's customs and economies that the occupied people are rendered unrecognizable to themselves. So while the pig ends up being possessed by the, while the pigs end up being possessed by legion, they themselves are already a sort of legion outward and visible signs of inward, invisible occupation. It ain't nothing but the devil, my mother would say. But there is good news yet. 
I'll never forget my mother turning to me and my brother in the backseat of her Ford Expedition one Sunday on the 17-minute drive home from church. Yes, the drive home was shorter than the drive to church for reasons I won't explain today. She looked us in the eye and said this, if a sermon does not mention the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's just a cute speech. I was doomed from an early age. (laughs) She was my first seminary professor. And I recall that line every time I'm writing a sermon. For my mother, the shape of Jesus' life, what theologians call the paschal mystery, our humanity being transformed in the whirlwind that is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is what defines the baptized life. It is a life trapped in the throes of possession and occupation, of forgetting one's name and crying out legion, of forgetting the dignity bestowed upon us in the waters of baptism, of wandering through the wilderness naked and isolated. And Jesus speaks words into us of love that invite us to begin again. If mama were preaching, she'd close where the narrator closes. Clothed and in his right mind, he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. And though our refrain has been, it ain't nothing but the devil, the final word belongs to the God who in Jesus Christ clothes us restores us to community and rids us of imperial occupation and reminds us that an 11-minute rush to church can make all the difference in the world. Amen.